Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 12th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Skarin, Mnookin, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The Court of Appeal reversed the WCAB as it decided that the plain language of the Labor Code limits temporary disability to a period of five years from the date of injury. Here's what happened in the published case of the County of San Diego versus the WCAB and Kyle Pike. Mr. Pike was employed by the County of San Diego as a deputy sheriff. In July 2010, he injured his right shoulder and received a combination of benefits up through June 2015. After he received a stipulated award of 12% permanent disability, he filed a timely petition to reopen claiming temporary disability benefits through August 2016, which was beyond the five-year time limit from the date of his injury. The issue was whether he could receive additional benefits for periods of temporary disability that extended more than five years from his injury. The work comp judge concluded that the appeals board may award temporary disability benefits more than five years from the date of injury, provided that applicant is limited to an aggregate of 104 weeks of benefits. A split panel decision denied reconsideration. However, the Court of Appeal reversed in the published case of the County of San Diego versus WCAB and Kyle Pike. The Court of Appeal concluded that the plain language of the statute indicates that the TD benefit is limited to five years from the date of injury. And the legislative history of the Labor Code is entirely consistent with the statutory text in supporting the conclusion that the legislature intended to limit temporary disability benefits to five years from the date of injury. The court said that none of the arguments presented by Mr. Pike or the California Applicants Attorneys Association in support of Pike's claim for benefits was persuasive. And the Court of Appeal ruled against the City of Fresno in an indemnification dispute over the injury to two of its police officers. The City of Fresno entered into a contract with the 21st District Agricultural Association to provide on-site police protection and law enforcement services to the Big Fresno Fair. The district agreed to pay the city about $700,000 over the three-year term. The contract contained a broad indemnification provision requiring the district to indemnify the city from all claims, expenses, or liability occasioned by the city's performance of the contract. But the contract also required the city to maintain certain insurance coverages protecting the legal liability of the district, including workers' compensation coverage. The city's method of furnishing such insurance coverage was the provision of a self-insurance program. While providing law enforcement services at the Big Fresno Fair, two of the city's police officers were injured when attempting to restrain a belligerent patron, and the city paid workers' comp benefits for the two police officers. Later, the city sought to recover these amounts from the district under the contract's indemnification clause. The trial court concluded that the specific insurance requirement placed the risk of loss for workers' compensation claims for police services squarely on the city. 
and the Court of Appeal affirmed the summary judgment against the city in the unpublished case of the City of Fresno versus 21st District Agricultural Association. It reasoned that where possible, courts are to interpret contractual language in a manner that gives force and effect to every provision and not in a way that would render a provision nugatory, inoperative, or meaningless. The insurance requirements place the risk of loss on the city for claims covered by the agreed-upon insurance coverage, such as payment of workers' comp benefits. While the indemnification provision required the district to indemnify the city for all other uninsured or uncovered losses. This interpretation is a reasonable reconciliation of the two contrasting provisions in a manner that gives meaningful effect to both while avoiding any absurd or unreasonable results. And the Court of Appeal reviewed the case of Manish versus Hanuman Fellowship twice and on this second occasion found no evidence of equitable estoppel that would bar a volunteer employee's injury claim. Here's what happened in the first unpublished case in 2013. Diane Minish sustained serious personal injuries after she fell off a forklift on premises owned by Hanman Fellowship. Minish initially reported that her injuries occurred while she was working as a volunteer doing construction work for the fellowship. Both Manish and the fellowship reported the injury to the fellowship's workers' comp carrier, and Manish received more than $270,000 in workers' comp benefits. Manish also filed a civil action against the fellowship seeking damages for personal injuries, asserting they acted negligently and requesting her to stand on a raised forklift while it was moving. But the fellowship claimed that the workers' compensation was her exclusive remedy. Minish argued the exclusive remedy rule did not apply because the fellowship failed to comply with the requirements of Labor Code Section 3363.6 for extending employment status to its volunteers. She also argued that her injuries did not arise out of and in the course of her employment because she was visiting a friend and was not volunteering at the time of the accident. The trial court granted the fellowship summary judgment again on its exclusive remedy defense, reasoning that Manish was judicially estopped from denying she was subject to the workers' compensation remedy. But the Court of Appeal reversed again the summary judgment in the first appeal, published in 2013, known as Manish 1. The court held judicial estoppel did not apply because the fellowship had not shown that the WCAB made any findings in favor of Manish. The court rejected the fellowship's argument based on equitable estoppel since the fellowship had not pleaded equitable estoppel as a defense and there were triable issues concerning the elements of the defense. Now, after the 2013 remand, the trial court construed Labor Code Section 3363.6 and found the fellowship had complied with its requirements. The court also found that based on her prior representations that she was injured while doing volunteer construction work and her acceptance of work comp benefits, Manish was equitably stopped from asserting in the civil action that her injuries did not arise out of and in the course of her employment. 
In light of its findings, the trial court found it unnecessary to adjudicate the question of Manish's volunteer status. But on her second appeal, Manish challenged the court's ruling on the equitable estoppel defense, arguing that the evidence was insufficient to satisfy three elements of the defense. And the Court of Appeal again in Manish 2 reversed the trial court in the second and now unpublished case of Manish versus Hanman Fellowship. Equitable estoppel provides that Manish may not deny her injuries arose out of and in the course of her employment if she intentionally led the fellowship to believe those facts to be true and to rely upon such belief to its detriment. For estoppel to apply, the trial court was required to find that Manish was apprised of the facts that she knew her injuries did not arise out of and in the course of her employment, and that the fellowship was ignorant of the true state of the facts. Here, the knowledge element is missing, and thus the court ruled there cannot be any estoppel. And now our crime report. The Labor Commissioner's Office has cited Chino-based weight loss and fitness chain, the Camp Boot Camp Incorporated, doing business as the Camp Transformation Center, more than $8.3 million for multiple wage theft and labor law violations. Unpaid wages and damages are owed to 551 workers who worked in 15 locations throughout Southern California, including trainers, trainer assistants, facility managers, and receptionists. The investigation found that trainers and assistants at all locations were only paid for each class taught when they should have been paid by the hour. They were shorted on wages due for travel between the class sites, as well as prep and cleanup before and after each class. The company issued several paychecks to trainers or assistants who worked at multiple locations, with workers receiving up to six paychecks for a single pay period. As a result, the employer did not pay the workers any overtime. Managers and other employees were not paid for mandatory staff meetings and receptionists were not provided required rest or meal breaks. The citations also included $1.25 million in civil penalties. And felony charges were filed against a retired LAPD officer in an alleged workers' compensation fraud case. 56-year-old former officer Terry Johns was arrested by detectives with the department's Internal Affairs Division. A criminal complaint accused Johns of workers' compensation insurance fraud, insurance fraud and attempted perjury under oath. The arrest was made after a surveillance investigation in which detectives were sent to see if the ex-officer was really injured as he had claimed. At the time, Johns was enrolled in a controversial program, the Deferred Retirement Option Plan, or DROP, that pays veteran cops and firefighters their salary and pension simultaneously for up to five years. Johns joined the Deferred Retirement Option Plan in 2014. The next month, he filed a workers' compensation claim for a bad back. He then took a long injury leave, collecting nearly $250,000 in pension and salary for the time off and officially retired in 2016. But internal affairs investigators observed Johns engaging in activity inconsistent with his claimed injuries. 
The DROP program was approved by voters in 2001 with a promise that it would keep veteran officers on the job a few years longer with no additional cost to the city. A Los Angeles Times investigation published last month found more than 1,200 public safety officers had joined DROP and then gone out with injuries, typically bad backs, sore knees, and other ailments of aging bodies, turning the program into an extended leave at nearly twice the pay. The program has paid out more than $1.6 billion in extra pension checks since its inception in 2002. Mr. Johns is the first drop participant arrested on suspicion of workers' comp fraud with no other ongoing investigations of program participants. And 54-year-old Linda Expose, who lives in Stanislaus County, has been indicted and charged with mail fraud and fraud on the Social Security Administration. The Social Security Administration pays child disability benefits, also known as Title II benefits, to certain disabled children who are or were dependent on a wage-earning parent. The Social Security Administration also pays supplemental security income benefits, also known as Title 16 benefits, to eligible recipients to provide a floor of income for the aged, blind, or disabled. Exposed began receiving Social Security benefits in 1980 and concealed from the Social Security Administration her 19-year employment at a children's hospital during which she received income under a family member's Social Security number. Exposed became employed at a children's hospital in Oakland and Modesto, California since 1991 and earned more than $570,000 over the following years. She never reported this income and continued to receive benefits from Social Security under her true Social Security number. She would have been ineligible to receive such benefits had she truthfully reported the income she earned from the hospital. If convicted, she faces 20 years in prison for the mail fraud charge and five years in prison for each of the two counts of Social Security benefits fraud and a $250,000 fine. And in regulatory news, last year in California, several senators authored Senate Bill 562 calling for the adoption of a single-payer Medicare-for-all health care system. And now the California Workers' Compensation Institute has examined the issues, opportunities, and unresolved problems surrounding the integration of workers' compensation into a 24-hour system. Under most proposals, this implies an integration of occupational and non-occupational medical care. The CWCI first explored the issues of 24-hour coverage beginning in 1993. In addition to the differences in how medical utilization and reimbursement are handled by workers' comp and group health, other areas continue to present significant challenges for an integrated system. These include the lack of a shared risk component in workers' comp, which has no co-pays, deductibles, or lifetime limits. The different dispute resolution claim settlement process is also a problem, as well as the need to coordinate care and access to treatment for two distinctly different patient populations. Another problem is the need for medical providers to address issues related to the injured worker's permanent disability and return to work and the administrative costs and practical challenges 
of coordinating the medical and indemnity benefits for occupational injuries. And the DWC has now suspended 10 more medical providers from participating in California's workers' comp system. None of the current providers had any significant involvement in California workers' compensation. Most have been listed as a result of having their licenses suspended or revoked for reasons unrelated to treatment of industrial injuries. This now brings the total number of providers suspended to 207. The number of qualified medical evaluators declined 20% between 2012 and 2017, according to a recently released CWCI study. And some say the exodus of qualified medical evaluators could slow down and complicate the resolution of disputed workers' compensation claims. Researchers say there has been some anecdotal word of mouth that there are access problems with individuals being able to schedule an appointment with QMEs. And currently, many QMEs are baby boomers who are nearing retirement. And there has always been a problem with getting good medical legal evaluations in the rural areas. The California Applicants Attorneys Association spokesperson said the decline has a significant impact on the ability to find a QME on a panel list who can evaluate a worker within the required time frame of 60 to 90 days and to issue a report within 30 days of that evaluation. Costs suggest the division should be actively recruiting QMEs in the specialties of urology, pulmonary, gastrointestinal, and oncology, as well as increasing the overall numbers. And it suggests that many on the applicants or defense side say they would gladly go back to the old system where both sides get their own QME without going through this restrictive panel QME selection process. And in medical news, a new study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association claims that acetaminophen, ibuprofen, and other non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are better than opioids at easing the intensity of chronic pain in the back, knees, or hips. And opioids are no better than these other drugs at reducing how much pain interferes with daily activities like walking, working, sleeping, or enjoying life. Opioids are more dangerous than other treatment options because they put people at risk for accidental death and addiction. And the lead study author claims that the study shows that extra risk does not come with any extra benefit. NSAIDs carry their own risks, especially at high doses, including the potential for internal bleeding, kidney damage, and heart attacks. But they are not addictive. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on the Amazon website. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Skarin, Manukian, and Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.